Would you please join me in reading God's word? For those of you that took one of the church Bibles, you will find it on page 669. We're reading from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he orders his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. And I pray that these are your words and that uh, your people would encounter you uh, through, through the scriptures and through my words. Uh, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are working through our articles of faith, what we believe Today, we're talking about the church. So, I have a question. What is the church? What is the thing that we're doing right now? I want you to imagine with me for a moment uh, two college friends. All right, so two college friends who served together at a Christian campus ministry, let's say, InterVarsity uh, in college. Their names are Matt and Ben. And they volunteered together, so they've always kind of known each other within the context of, like, strong Christian community. And they are meeting up five years after college, five years after InterVarsity, to have lunch at a little cafe. They're sitting on a deck outdoors. It's a beautiful day. And Matt begins to tell Ben about how wonderful his church is. He talks about the worship. He loves the worship. He loves the, the community and the fellowship time and those little crackers with all the cheese after the service. Uh, and the preaching is just amazing. He loves all these things. He doesn't go to this church. This is a different church. <laughs> and Ben says, well, that's great, uh, but I actually have all those things and I don't actually go to church. I don't worry about church. Like I have a kind of a, I, I'm a part of a new kind of Christian community. It's an organization in my town and you know, we get together and we read the Bible and we sing songs and we have worship. Uh, and there's a, just a great community. I feel like these people are my brothers and sisters in Christ. See, I, I'm kind of done with the institutional church. I'm done with the organizational church. I don't need to be a part of that. The church is the building, right? Not, not the peop- uh, it's, it's, it's the It's the people, not the building, right? So who is correct is... Matt and his love for the institutional church, correct? Or is it Ben? And has he actually found a better way that's free of like the politics and the the drama of church? Well, I want us to, to talk about the church today, what the church is and why the church matters. And if I were there on this imaginary deck, I would help them define the difference between the universal church and the local church. And maybe you've heard the whisperings of the universal church versus the local church uh, through the prayer time and the worship service. 
So let's start with just a definition of the universal church. The universal church is the people of God from all times and all places. Now notice how church is capitalized. It's the big C church. It's the capital C letter church. It's the worldwide church. And he talked about those believers on the other side of the world that we can't see. They're a part of this worldwide invisible church. Now, we call it invisible not because you can't see little glimpses of it here and there, but we call it invisible because like, there's no mailbox, there's, there's no sanctuary. And if you took every single Christian you have ever met from birth to death, and if you took every single Christian that you have ever heard of, so all the people in the Bible, all the people from the past, and you cram them into like one geographic location, that would just be like a tiny speck of the total universal church. And this is why we call it the invisible church. We, we can't glimpse it. It's, it's, uh, it's innumerable. It's uncountable. And we actually talk about this in our articles of faith, which we all already read, but I want to read for us again. We believe in the universal church, a living spiritual body of which Christ is the head and which all members, which all people, past, present, and future who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, are members. Now, the first time the word for church is used in the New Testament, this is the Greek word ecclesia. Maybe you've heard ecclesiology. It's kind of a a fancy term, but it just means the study of the church. The first time ecclesiology is used in the New Testament uh, is in our passage that we read today. Jesus is responding to Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the church that Jesus is talking about is a big church. It's the big letter C. It's the universal church, all Christians, all times, all places. And Jesus is saying the the, the role that you play as an apostle, kind of laying down the doctrine, and also the message that you share, the good news of Christ is going to be the foundation for which the whole church springs forward. And we're going to grow into this great big organism. And it's cool because the church started back then, but it's still going today. We are a part of the church right now. And the interesting thing is that the church, the universal church, does include all believers from all times and all places, right? So that means even the people before Christ Jesus that are saved by God, the people of God that lived in the Old Testament, whether Israel or maybe it was an Egyptian who put their faith in the Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, they're also saved. See, they're saved by looking forward to Jesus Christ, and we're saved by looking backward to Jesus Christ. So the, the Matt in my imagination, who lives in 2017, he is part of the same universal church as, the, as Matthew the tax collector, who, who wrote the gospel of Matthew 2,000 years ago. They're both a, they're both a part of the, the same organization, the same living being. Now, what does our article of faith say? It says, like, who, who belongs to this universal church? Well, it's anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior are members. So both, both Matt and Matthew enter the same way. They don't get into the church different ways. 
And that's actually how we get into the church today, right? That's how we get into the universal church, by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And coming to him with our sins and saying, I trust you even with the darkest areas of my life. I'm going to confess those sins. I'm going to lay them down. Those, those counseling mini books, any of those issues that we wrestle with in our life, we lay them down. That's what it means to trust, and that's how we come into the universal church. If you're not a Christian, <laughs> I want to invite you to, to become a Christian by joining the universal church. That's what it means to become a Christian. You actually join the big C church. You become one of those believers from all times and all places. And if that's you and you don't have a living relationship with Christ, I, I, I pray that today will be the day that you invite him into your life and you lay down those sins. Now, our article of faith also uses an analogy. It talks about the church as being the body of Christ and Christ is the head. This actually comes from Ephesians where we see this, this illustration. Well, what does a, a head do? to a body, it, it like leads it, right? It's like you, you walk that direction because your head goes there. Well, Christ leads his universal church, right? He's the one who gives us vision. He, he calls us to certain places. He's our authority. We're underneath him. He's the Lord of the universal, invisible body. But have you ever like seen an invisible body? Like, uh, if you had seen an invisible body, you, you probably wouldn't know it, would you? <laughs> because it's invisible. <laughs> See, the, the invisible church, the universal church, is not meant to stay invisible. It's meant to be made visible. And in and, and 1 Corinthians, Paul actually talks about the body of Christ, but he's talking about a local church. So no longer the universal church, but the local church. It's this place where there are different people with different gifts and different abilities, and uh, some of them are really messed up and broken, most of them. <laughs> and God uses them to make visible the invisible church. I like to say it this way, the, 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 visible, the, the local church is the visible manifestation of the invisible church. It's like something is flickering into being. Well, that's the, that's the local church. The Little C Church, it has sanctuaries sometimes. It doesn't have to. It has mailboxes. It has people. They're, they're from a particular time and a particular place, a particular city. And they come together and they worship together. And the Bible actually encourages the gathering in the local church, the Little C Church. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, we're supposed to be a part of the local visible church. In our illustration, in our story at the cafe, Ben is a member of the invisible church. You know what that makes him? That makes him an invisible Christian. <laughs> the church can't come around him and help him with his struggles, with his needs. He might be a little bit safer from kind of the sin of church people, but he's also distant from their love, from the ways they want to care for him. Now, I have not watched the movie or read the book, The Invisible Man, but I know the general story. The invisible man 
is about a scientist who discovers how to turn things invisible. And like a wise scientist, he tries it on himself. And pretty soon he discovers that there are some side effects to invisibility. Alienation. Anger. You can get away with whatever you want. You can do things to other people and hurt them and no one will tell you otherwise. See, I don't want to be invisible. I don't want to be an invisible church person. I want to be part of the visible church community. So what do we do with those people in our minds that have hurt us or that are distant from us that we don't like? We begin to think thoughts about them. The imaginary people of our minds, the, the real people become worse and worse, and we get better and better in our own thoughts. And that's what happens when we stand kind of in judgment from the church. The, the, the local church just gets worse and worse, and we get better and better. And pretty soon, we actually stand in judgment. We stand in authority over the local church. And who is the head of the church? It's Jesus. It's not us. Jesus judges the church, not you and not me. There's another analogy that the Bible uses for the church, and it is the bride of Christ. And I think this doesn't apply to just the universal church. See, we see the bride of Christ through little visible churches and the expression there. And I don't know about you, but... If Ben and, and, and let's say Matt, he's married, he has a wonderful wife, but Ben just doesn't like Matt's wife, and he tells him like every time he sees him, Ben, your wife is dumb. I don't like her. How long do you think that relationship is going to last? It's not going to last at all. See, alienation from the bride leads to alienation from the groom. The longer we stand in judgment against the local church, the longer we'll actually be drawn away from Christ. We don't want that. Now, in Ben's defense, if he were here, he would probably say, but yeah, the, the local church, there are some pretty messed up churches out there, aren't there? The, the institution has a way of just kind of getting dirty and getting messed up and wasting money and, and, and kind of keeping itself busy and not really getting much done. These are true critiques. So I think we need to take a moment and really define what is the local church? What should the local church be? What is the, the, the local church as God intends it to be? So in review, the universal church is the people of God from all times and all places, and the local church is the regular gathering of the people of God in a specific time and location who covenant together under biblical teaching, leadership, and the ordinances with a mission to share Jesus with others. Now this definition is in your bulletins. You don't have to like try to write it down really quick. I did amend the very last like part of it, the mission part, so you can change that. But I actually wrote this definition based on some other definitions of the church that I came across in my own reading my understanding of the local church in the scriptures, and I also pray just the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, this definition is very similar to our article of faith. It says, we believe in the local church, believers in Jesus Christ to assemble locally under biblical leadership for the purpose of worship, teaching, and equipping Christians for the work of God and fellowship all to the glory of God. 
Now, before I jump into this definition, I want to highlight the regular gathering of the people of God. God calls us to to get together regularly. Now, we do it here on a, a weekly basis. We mirror that, that rest we find in Genesis, and we see throughout the Scripture, the Sabbath. We try to mirror setting aside one day to worship and focus on God. Now, we're not kind of a, a Sabbatarian church where we believe this is the only day. We come from a, kind of a, a church that celebrated Sunday. But we are called to gather together regularly. regularly. And I want to share two verses with you from 1 Corinthians, which Paul wrote to a local church. He says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church. Now notice what it says. It doesn't say if you come together as a church. It says when you come together as a church. See, believers are called to come together. Now, another verse talks about the power that we experience when we're together. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in the Spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. I truly believe that there is something different about this than just when, like, two Christians get coffee. When two or three Christians get coffee, like, Christ is present. There's, There's something wonderful there. But when we intentionally come together as the local church, there is power. There's power to change lives. There's power to worship God together in a way that we can't do on our own. There's there's power to sanctify each other, to grow in holiness as we work on each other and, and are worked on. So I think it's really important to attend church and attend church consistently and often, to not Like take half the month off to go do your own thing. I think God calls us to be intentional about being in the local church. And I actually uh, think that we see a fuller definition as we go along in the scriptures. Now let's talk more about what it means to be a church. And I want to discuss like five marks of a local church. The first one is covenanting together. In order to become a local church, we need to make a commitment to each other and to God. And we call this a covenant. A covenant in the Bible is a promise where God is involved. A promise where God is involved. It's not a super complicated thing, but covenant isn't something we use very often today. Now, written church covenants are a thing that were invented in the 16th and 17th century by congregational churches and Baptist churches. So there is no scripture verse in the Bible that says you must have a written church covenant. But if we look in the scriptures, we see the story of God promising himself to people. In Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with this this guy named Abraham. That through him, he was going to be a blessing to the whole world. And God was going to save the descendants of Abraham, the spiritual descendants. And then God made a promise to, to, to Israel at Mount Sinai. And then he promised to make an, a new covenant in Jeremiah. And who makes that new covenant? Jesus in the New Testament. When he goes to the cross and the night of the Passover, he breaks bread and, and pours the cup. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. See, we have a God who covenants with us, who makes promises to us. 
to, to save and deliver any who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we want to be like Christ, right? We want to honor God. We want to reflect a little bit of that goodness. And so we make covenants with each other. Now, we as a church, we have a written church covenant, and we're not going to go through it tonight because then the sermon's going to be a lot longer. But you can go to our website. You can find our church covenant, and we want every single member of our church to sign that covenant. And it's a promise to each other, and it's a promise to God, and it explains what it means to be a part of a local church. Now, the elders right now are are reading a book. It's called Church Membership, How the World Knows Who Represents Jesus. It's part of the Nine Marks Ministry book series. And as we were discussing uh, the book this week at elders meeting, uh, John shared a little bit of his thoughts. And he said, you know, church membership, church this idea of like a commitment that's, that's more than just showing up on a day of the week, it's kind of a struggle sometimes to understand, right? But a, a good analogy, a good illustration is that of a, a marriage and a specifically a wedding. Now, two people could just kind of say, all right, like we're at Burger King, we're sitting here, we're married, all right? And we're going to go make our life that of a, a married couple. I suppose they could legally do that, um, but you're missing something, aren't you? You're missing the time to make a real commitment with like real teeth till death do us part in front of your friends and family. And they can come and they can help you hold to that commitment, can't they? Now, I do not believe that when you sign Cornerstone Congregational Church's covenant that you are saying till death do us part. I think a marriage covenant is a little bit different than a church covenant, right? God calls us to new jobs, new situations, new churches, new ministries. But I do think it's good to say, I'm going to really think about what I'm doing here. I want to enter into this community, and I, I want it to be a real thing. And I'm willing to make a promise to others and have them make promises to me that we're going to be there for each other through thick and thin. I want to be a part of of a local church. Because if I'm a part of an invisible church, a universal church, who's going to be there for me? Maybe a good friend? But I want a whole, like, institution there ready to help. So the first mark is covenanting together. The second is biblical teaching. Biblical teaching, uh, a fancy word, it's not too hard to understand, is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy just means like right belief. And orthodoxy is what has been passed down from Jesus and the apostles, so Peter and the other 12 disciples, all the way to us today. It's like the true heart of the Christian faith. And we try to sum up kind of the the main primary points of orthodoxy, the essentials that are non-negotiable in our articles of faith, what we're doing here as a sermon series, what we're going through. And I think we see this in scriptures. Acts 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is a verse that is describing the local church, kind of what they're doing. So this is a mark of the local church. And notice what it says in this verse. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is a Greek word, koinonia. It talks about, it's like this community. It's, a, it's really a covenant community relationship that we enter into under biblical teaching. 
Now, this is why, as a church, we really value God's word. If you look on the, the canvas print back there after the service, you'll see one of our core values is the Bible. We, we study, preach, apply, and share God's word. We really believe in sitting under like orthodoxy and learning the scriptures, whether it's here in a sermon or it's downstairs at Cornerstone Kids or if it's in the youth Bible study when that starts back up. We really value that. That's a part of what it means to be a local church. What's the third mark? The third mark is biblical leadership. During our first elders meeting, we discussed Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, Acts 6, 1 through 7 is the story of the early church, and there's all these needs that arise, and there's this, this kind of food bank. There's a daily distribution of food, and it turns out that the Hellenistic widows, so the Greek widows, they're getting kind of neglected. They're not getting their daily distribution of food, and they come to the apostles and say, hey, what's up? Help us with this, and the apostles, Peter and the other, they say, you know what? You're right. We do need to take care of your needs, but we're actually not the ones to do it. And so what they do is they appoint 12, uh, they, they appoint seven uh, kind of uh, servants to help them with this task. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what we see here is a pattern being laid down that's healthy for churches 2,000 years later to follow, to pattern themselves after, where there's actually two different offices in the church. There's this, this, this team, this office that oversees like the teaching and the instruction, the, the prayer and the ministry of the word. And then there's this other team that helps with kind of the servant needs, the, the waiting on tables, those, those things that need to get done, those logistical and practical needs. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see those kind of two offices being called overseers and deacons. And overseers are really elders. So we have elders and we have deacons. And this is what we actually have as a church. Now, at Cornerstone, we define elders this way, what their kind of job is. Elders lead and shepherd the church and devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in business, but this is what we're, we're trying to do. We believe this is our calling. How about the calling for the deacons? The deacons serve by meeting the physical and material needs of the church. This comes straight out of our, our constitution and bylaws, and this <laughs> goes even further back to the Bible. This reflects the heart of the scriptures and what it calls us to do. So biblical leadership is the third mark. And I, as the pastor, am the primary preaching and teaching elder of the church. What's another mark? Well, the fourth mark is the ordinances. Now, this begins our next article of faith. We didn't read it during our worship service, but it's number 12. We believe in observing the ordinances of the Lord's Supper, communion, and baptism. Our church practices baptism after confession of faith. Now, what is an ordinance? We're talking about covenants, ordinances, things we don't usually use in our like everyday uh, Facebook lingo. An ordinance, right, is a command. It's uh, do this or do that. It can be a law. And actually, different like town ordinances distinguish different towns, right? So there's some towns that are dry. So there's no liquor shops. That kind of sets that town apart. That's an ordinance. 
There's other towns that aren't. Well, an ordinance that sets us apart is Jesus' command of baptism. That we should repent and be baptized after confession of faith. In Acts 2.38, Peter says, repent and be baptized. We believe baptism comes after a repentance. That baptism is an outward expression of an inward heart change. That means something happens in here. In order to reflect like my spiritual death and resurrection with Jesus Christ, I go and I get in a tub of water and I go under the tub, uh, under the water. That would be a miracle, right? Uh, under the water and back up. And that symbolizes my death and my resurrection with Christ. It's, a, it's an outward expression of an inward heart change. If you've never been baptized, like you believe in Jesus, you consider yourself a Christian, you have confessed your sin and put your faith in Christ, I want to see you get baptized. We actually have a baptism coming up on September 30th. I'm really excited for it. In order to get baptized at Cornerstone, you have to come to our baptism class, but come talk to me and we can get one arranged. So the fourth sign is uh, the ordinances, and the first is baptism, and the second is communion. So Jesus told his disciples to take communion regularly, take the Lord's Supper. That's a reminder of this new covenant community, right? Take the cup and take the bread as a reminder of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, as a local church, we celebrate communion. We, we go through the, the sign of communion on the first Saturday of every month. It's kind of a pattern we've set. We want to do it regularly. We want to do it with thought and intention. And when we celebrate communion, we invite anyone who is a part of the universal church to participate. So you don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to have signed a membership covenant to, to take communion here. But we do want to know that, that you have put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus. But we leave that up to you as you examine your heart. Now, ultimately, we believe that, that communion is something the local church does. That it is a sign, it's kind of like a, a signifier, it's a marker of a gathered church. That by taking the cup and the bread, we make visible the invisible body of Christ. In fact, when Paul wrote the words, so we always recite kind of the words of institution, almost always, uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians. That, that was written to a local church. Do this in remembrance of me, local church, when you gather. So the fourth sign, the fourth mark of a local church is baptism. There's one more. And this one more you probably won't find in most definitions, but it's something that I've been convicted about. The, 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 the last mark is the fifth mark. See, I, I believe that part of what it means to be a local church is to have a mission. To have a mission that God has given you. After Jesus died and rose again from the grave, he gave us the Great Commission. And the heart of the Great Commission is go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And this means we're not to just be satisfied with kind of going through the motions of doing the things in here. Jesus says go. Go out into the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around you. Make disciples. Grow people up. We, we kind of define this as in our mission statement, to make, mature, and multiply followers of Jesus. That's all the stages of discipleship right there. 
See, Jesus doesn't really want an institution either. Jesus wants a living, active, breathing body that seeks to follow him and seeks to obey him. I want to give you two kind of applications, two ways that you can put kind of the mission of our church into practice as we head towards a close. Well, first, we have a big day coming up, a big day at Cornerstone. So if you're new, this is just something that we do. But we have about three a year, one around Christmas time, Easter, and then usually in the fall. These are like strategic times throughout the year when we try to invite our friends. So we have kind of bring a friend day, bring a coworker, bring someone uh, you don't like who needs to be saved. Like bring bring anyone. (laughs) Go out and invite them. And on these days, we try to be like extra thoughtful, extra careful to be intentionally welcoming, to have the worship team introduce themselves. I try to preach a sermon that anyone can understand. And we usually kick off a new series on September 9th is our next big day. It's a Saturday. Uh, And on this day, uh, we're going to start a new series called Discipleship 101. Our whole next year, we're really going to be talking about discipleship. And in this series, we're talking about what it just means to follow Jesus. So what a great opportunity to invite a friend so they can hear a basic sermon about what it means to follow Jesus. And maybe like the pilot of a, of a TV series, it'll get them interested in coming back and, and doing more of it. I was at the Four Seas Conference in Pittsburgh, and uh, one of the pastors there was uh, telling me about his challenge to his congregation to invite a friend. And he's a, he's a pastor in Vermont. Franklin, Vermont. So I have like no idea where that is. But on one weekend, he invited his church to bring a friend. He challenged them, bring a friend. And their church, like everyone went out and did that, and, and everyone actually invited a friend. And then actually, amazingly, there was a miracle, and the friends actually came. <laughs> and in the space of one week, they went from 40 to 75. And then those friends came back the following week and the following week, and the following week. That's like church growth, if I've ever heard of it. That's amazing. I'd like to give that a try. (laughs) On Saturday, September 9th, well, before then, but to that service, I want to challenge you. Take a leap of faith, trust God, and invite a friend to church. I'm going to do it. It's never fun, right? But give it a try. Now, our next kind of application is just to come back next week. Next week, we're really talking more about this mark of what it means to be a church, the mission of the church. And the leadership really decided and agreed with me that, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had someone who is like all the time doing the mission of the church come and give us a talk? And so we're actually having a missionary who's a current missionary in France come and and speak. And he's a missionary that we have given a couple one-time donations to. We're still figuring out our missions program here. But as we figure out our missions program, just come and learn. It's going to be a wonderful time. He's going to speak in French. There's going to be no translator. (laughs) Just kidding. He will speak in French. There will be a translator. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be wonderful. So in review, The local church is the regular gathering of the people of God in a specific time and location who covenant together under biblical teaching, leadership, and the ordinances with a mission to share Jesus with others. Now I want to close with my my final challenge to love the local church. 
Now, we started with a picture on the screen of a building, <laughs> right? The church is not a building. The church is the people. This, this is a picture of Cornerstone. You might find yourself in this picture. I think Ben is right in some ways. The church is not just an institution. It's the people. It's the living and active, breathing people. If I were there in that cafe, I would want to encourage Ben, don't give up on the local church. It's always easier to love the people of your imagination, right? The invisible church, the invisible people. The people that we create and then compare to like our spouses or our family or our friends. We're like, ah, oh, these, these people in my mind, they don't have issues, right? But the local church is the visible manifestation of the invisible church. It helps us see the bride. Christ is transforming his bride from a dirty, sinful, broken being into this beautiful, eternal, glorious being that we're all going to want to spend time with forever and ever. And one day, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be spotless. But that day is not here yet. And Jesus wants us to hang out with his bride to help the bride get to that place. So I want to encourage you to love the bride of Christ by loving the local church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christ Jesus. Thank you for the universal, invisible church. And thank you so much for the visible, local church. Thank you for the church that I have been getting to look at as I preach this sermon. Thank you for the local church that is going to have a fellowship time afterwards and eat crackers and talk. Thank you for these people. They're your people, Father. I pray that you would bless us as we have those times and would you bless the offering as we take it. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray, amen.